but it's been a crazy couple of weeks for me. Um, just over the last, I would have to like label like the last two weeks of my life just like bad news. That, that's it. Just bad news after bad news after bad news. Phone call after phone call. Text after text. Being there with families who uh, are losing loved ones. Um, getting phone calls and texts about those diagnosed with cancer. Working with a family that, you know, in the last couple of weeks where the wife's left home. Marriage is in trouble. Some lost job. Some losing their home. And just hearing all of these things, and it's just like it begins to weigh on you. And even yesterday, uh, I was explaining, I'm a very single-task um, person. I'm not a real multitasker. I used to be. Something happened to me. I got old. I can't do it anymore. But I, I single-task. And so last week, you know, this past week, last Sunday, just working on, uh, on the weekend and then focused on that. And then Monday, focusing on, you know, the Bible study leading that night. And then on Tuesday, you know, focused on uh, the celebration service for uh, Simone's mom that happened here. And thanks to all of you who are so, uh, such a blessing to that family. And then Wednesday, focusing on a, on a wedding um, uh, rehearsal and things that were going on uh, there. And Friday was the wedding. Some of you were there and then focused on that and then got to this, you know, yesterday and just trying to gather all my thoughts on how to put things together. And I got a phone call, you know, um, uh, said, you know what, hey, I need a favor. Actually, I just need you to do this. I'm coming to your house right now. Drive me to the hospital. My father-in-law is not well. And so as I thought, you know, here, we're, here we go. And as I drove out there, by the time, you know, spent some time with her family, got back, I'm sitting there, I'm just like, just wait, like just feeling the weight. And I thought about it and I thought, you know what, it, it's heavy on me, but I'm not the one actually going through all of these situations. And I start realizing there's just bad news and that heaviness, um, people facing, facing difficult things and, and not sure, you know, what to do or, or what do we do or where do we go when we, when we face these things. And I just want to speak to that a little bit this morning as well, that we all face things where, you know, that there's that bad news. Uh, and uh, for some, you know, it's like, you know, losing family, losing a job, losing a marriage, losing a home. I want to look at somebody this morning who's lost it all at the same time. Uh, and that's uh, the story of David. If you turn to First Samuel chapter 30, um, for those I was saying, too, uh, last night I was preaching to myself, and you can listen in. The same thing this morning. Just that, that in, uh, encouragement um, for me, and I hope there's something that blesses you as well. Um, the story of David, let me just maybe set this up for you. David was um, in uh, conflict with King Saul in Israel way back. Real kings, historical stuff. King David uh, was part of the, the, the nation of Israel, uh, but there was... King Saul knew that David was going to be the next king and was trying to kill him. So he moved to the country next door, which was the Philistine country, and he was living there. And, and the king of, of the Philistines said, hey, David, if you're going to live here, you've got 600 people. You can't live in my castle. You're going to have to get it your own place. I'm going to give you this little town called Ziklag. You live there, and you can do whatever you want. And, uh, you know, so David, he would go, and he would raid, and he would, he would pillage all of these towns around that area that belonged to the Philistine allies. And when the Philistine king would say, David, where would you pillage today? And he'd be like, well, I attacked Israel here, and I attacked Israel here, and I attacked Israel here, and so he, you know, he's actually, the, the, the king thinks that he's attacking his enemy, but he's actually attacking his allies. He just doesn't leave anybody alive to, uh, to tell the news, and so he amasses this great amount of wealth in this little, this little town, and then all of a sudden, the king realizes that he's going to go to war against the Israelites, and, and David's like, I'll go with you, and as they're on their way to the battle, the king just has this moment of like clarity, realizing he looks at David, who's a, a, an incredible warrior, and all of his men and he looks at him and realizes, wait a second, this guy is an Israelite. 
What if he turns on me when we're fighting? And so he has this conversation with David. He's like, David, you can't come along and fight. You got to go home. Go back to your, go back to your home. We're going to fight this. And he's like, King, I'll fight for you. I will fight against them. They're my enemies too. And he's like, you know what? I can't risk it that you're going to turn on me. So I'm sending you home. So after that conversation, David um, heads home and it's a three-day journey. And here's what happens. So in that verse, um, or chapter 30, verse 1. Three days later, when David and his men arrived home at their town of Ziklag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and Ziklag. They had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. They carried off the women and children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. We only know that later. David didn't know that at that point. He says, when David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. They thought all was lost. They thought everything was gone. There was no more hope. And it says, then David, not only had he lost Everything, he lost both of his wives, which that's a whole different story. It's hard enough to keep one marriage together, let alone two. But he, uh, he lost both, both of his wives. And it says, now he was in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and their daughters. And they began to talk of stoning him. So not only had he lost everything, he was about to lose his life. And it says this one little sentence, but David found strength in the Lord his God. David found strength in the Lord as God. And it's, it's not, as you read these words, it's not this idea that David prayed, God, give me strength. David is the one doing the strengthening. He, he, it, the, the, the word says he became strong. He strengthened himself. He prevailed. He, he would be courageous. He would grow firm in the Lord as God. He decided at that point, after I'm losing everything, facing incredible hardship, I'm got, I have a choice. I have something that I can do about this. And I want to encourage you with the same thought. You, this morning, maybe you're facing something. We've heard about it this morning. You, you know, you can just look around the room and you know certain people are facing some pretty dark uh, times. Maybe you're on the, you know, just kind of coming through and maybe you're, you, you're going to go through and you don't even know it's, it's coming yet. I just want to remind you that in all of those situations, there's a choice. There's a choice. And here's why. There's an enemy that's going to try and attract your attention. See, the thing is, we, we have an enemy and we know his mission. The Bible just says in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said this. He, said, he says, the thief comes not but to kill, to steal, and destroy. You have an enemy and he's coming to kill, he's coming to steal, he's coming to destroy. And that's what he's been doing. We see that. He says, but this, he says, realize I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. He says, I've come that you might have excellence of life. Not that there's going to be an absence of trouble, but that in spite of trouble, you're still going to have excellence of life. See, the thing that a lot of times you don't realize is there's an enemy attacking you, and he's not going to stop attacking you until you're dead. No amens? I'll say again. There's an enemy that you have who is not going to stop attacking you until you're dead. If you're under attack, <laughs> welcome to life. Welcome to that spot. You say, you know what, I was hoping that my life was just going to be easier. You know, Jesus came and gave me uh, an, an abundant life. It's just going to be simple. It's not. The enemy's going to try, he's going to attack and attack and attack. But I can tell you, he's going to try and attack and, and, and drag your attention to certain things, attract your attention. There's a new Star Wars movie that's coming out. I don't know if you've seen the trailer, but it's selling tickets like crazy. Uh, but there's old Star Wars movies too. And there's a guy in one of the old Star Wars movies named Qui-Gon Jinn, and he, he said this uh, sentence, your focus determines your reality. And you're like, well, that's not from the Bible, I know, but it's pretty spiritual. Your focus determines your reality. What you decide to look at will determine where your life ends up, will determine 
how this darkness, how this storm takes you. I love that last song. Hopefully we can sing it again at the end. This idea of I'm not, it doesn't matter if I'm in the, in the throes of the storm. I got my eyes somewhere else. But he's going to try and drag your attention to what the problem that's going on and load you up with luggage on your journey. Load you up with all kinds of weights. Uh, and some of the baggage that he's going to try and put on you and try and attract your attention to are things like this. Worry and anxiety will be the first one. He's going to cause you and try and get your focus on to worry. Jesus commands us, not just suggests. He commands. He says, thou shalt not worry. You're like, how do you do that? Like, it just seems like natural. Something you hear a phone call, you're like, <gasps> and you begin to think through the things. He said, listen, I don't want you to, I don't want you to worry. Worry's not going to change anything. Even though it's your first reflex, he's like, make the choice to choose not to worry. You know, there's the studies that show that it's about 8% of the things that you worry about actually happen. 92% of those things you worry about, they're never going to happen. But for everybody who worries, they're sure it's the 8%. Right, they're sure, they're, the, they're in that group. And he says, listen, don't, don't worry. The enemy's gonna, that's one of his things where he just wants to get you to look at worry. And if it's not that, it'll be fear. Just straight out fear. Fear, you know, we said the acronym for fear is false evidence appearing real. It's not really true, but it appears so true. And so it can just grab you and paralyze you. This, uh, you know, it's this idea of faith in reverse. It's like looking at, expecting the worst to happen. And pretty soon you just see yourself going down that journey. Uh, and it, it, it paralyzes you from making the decisions that you need to make in the time that you're making it. Reminded me of a story, you know, all of our kids too. Our kids are afraid of the dark sometimes. And we, we explain to them and say, listen, you don't have to be afraid. Because even as children, teaching them that Jesus is with them all the time. They can just pray. They can just talk to him. And they can take authority over that fear as children already. And realizing, but it doesn't, doesn't always work. I was reminded of the story, you know, of mom who sent little Johnny downstairs to go and get uh, a can of beans from the fruit cellar. And he's terrified of the fruit cellar because that's where all the monsters live. Uh, I remember it as a kid. That's the scariest place in the whole house is the, is the fruit cellar. You know, spiders, cobwebs, and no lights. And so she's like, Go down and get it. He's like, I can't, I'm scared. He's like, just go down there. Jesus will be in the fruit cellar with you. And so little Johnny goes down to the dark door and he looks in the door and he says, Jesus, if you're in there, can you hand me a can of beans? Because <laughs> even though you know that, that Jesus is with you, it doesn't always work all the time. And you know what? Same, that's for you, same for us, same for the early disciples. You know, they were in a boat with Jesus one day and there was a storm just, they thought they were going to die this storm they were in was so strong, they thought they were going to die. They were terrified, and yet it says they had Jesus in the boat, and he's sleeping. He's probably not sleeping. He's probably got one eye open, wondering, hey, I've been telling these guys, don't fear, because I'm with you. Don't fear, because I'm with you. Don't fear, because I'm with you. I wonder what they're going to do. And they're freaking out like they're going to die, and, and they wake him up. Don't you care, Jesus? Don't you care? We're all going to drown. And he's like, we're not all going to drown. At least I'm not. I'm here. You know, peace be still, and the waves, and they're like, <gasps> Oh yeah, you told us not to fear because you're with me. Do you know what he says the same thing to you? He's with you, he's with you, he's with you. The focus is always going to be in try and be on, on the storm and the waves that you're in. Worry, anxiety, fear, depression. You know that downward spiral of all you can see is the next negative thing happening in your life. Negativity, these thoughts of you know, going through your mind that are negative and focusing on that. You know, three quarters of the thoughts you naturally think are negative anyways. Just so you know, maybe you think, man, I always kind of have these, I always see the negative first. That's normal. Except that, you know, we're not to live that way. We're to find and focus on what's, uh, what's true and, and focus on the things that are good. 
And as you kind of go on that spiral of negativity, you get to these places of self-pity. And I hear things like this, you know, people saying, God, I mean, or how, how much more is God going to let me go through? Can't he see that I could use a break? It's just one thing after another, after another. God, why are you doing that to me? You know, for some have said, you know what? Every time I try and follow the Lord, everything goes wrong in my life. So it's just easier not to. And it's these spots where it gets you down to those places where you can make incredibly poor decisions because the, the weights uh, of it get in your life. I'm telling you, you know, it's, it's not allowing the circumstances to dictate where your life is heading. Because all of those things, all that baggage, it piles on and it becomes like weights in your journey, in your walk with Christ. Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, whoever wrote Hebrews wrote to them and realized they would understand some of this stuff too. Do we have that verse? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let's strip off every weight. Let's strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that trips us up. See, because it's not just sin. Sin feels like a weight, but there's other weights. This worry, anxiety, depression, negativity, they're these weights that try and slow you down. And it says, let us run with endurance the race that God set before us. It's kind of that idea of, you know, if you, as, as the enemy gets your focus onto the weights around you, it's this idea of you just got to be more like Taylor Swift and like shake it off, you know? Let's sing it together. Shake it off, shake it. No, well, it's not. All right. So, but, but that idea... You know, of, of realizing, now I'm not going to allow those things to be the weights in my life. I'm, you know, you're not going to shake off the situation. It's not just like, oh, that was a good message. I'm going to walk out the door and be like, yeah, I'm going to shake it off. And, you know, pff, you know the, the, the cancer is just automatically gone. You know, or my wife, oh, she loves me now after 15 years of you being a jerk. You know, it's not, it's not going to just happen that the things get, the situation's going to get shaken off. But you can shake off the baggage and the weights and, and continue to run. And he says, well, how do I do that? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says that this, we do this. We shake that stuff off and we can keep running the race set before us by keeping our eyes on Jesus, by keeping our eyes on, by us deciding to set our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him. He endured the cross, disregarded the shame, and now he's seated in a place of honor beside God's throne. He's a conqueror because of it. And it's exactly what, you know, what the enemy wants to do when you face trouble is that you would face the trouble. That's what he wants you to do, that your focus gets turned towards the trouble. With David, he could have focused on everything that's going wrong in his life. He could have focused on that as going badly, and he had a right to, you know, he had lost everything. And yet, he chose to focus somewhere else. Peter walking on the water, we know that story, that he was fine walking until he focused on the waves. The disciples, they had Jesus in their boat, but they were focused on the storm and not on him. It's so easy to be in that place, but it's always his calling. Uh, uh, on Friday, we had um, uh, Stan and Kim's wedding, and this was their wedding text. Not typical, but awesome. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, it says this. It says, since you've been raised to the new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Set your eyes uh, on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. In verse 2, he kind of repeats it again. says, think about the things of heaven. He actually says, set your mind on the things of heaven, not the things of earth. It's this idea of we have to do something. We have to, on purpose, intentionally choose that I'm going to get my eyes up. I'm going to set my eyes somewhere other than what's, what I'm facing and what I'm, what I'm going through because it doesn't have the answer. Psalm 43, Psalm 43 was not written by David, but David had set up all of these worship leaders around and, and, and the influence that he had in their lives. They wrote this psalm, and in this one and the one before it, they wrote the same verse here. 
this same thing multiple times, and it said this, why am I discouraged? Begins talking to himself. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I'm going to put my hope in God, and I'll praise him again, my Savior and my God. For those of you who are kind of old school, been, been around church, you would have heard it as, why so downcast, oh my soul? Begins talking to, to himself to say, you know what? Why am I discouraged? I'm going to put my hope in him. I'm going to praise him. I'm going to get my eyes off of what I'm going through, and I'm just going to look towards him. You know, I picture David, you know, as it says, he strengthened himself in the Lord, that he probably got away from the group of guys who were just ready to hurl stones, and sitting behind a tree, began to just remind himself of who God was in his life. David, David, you remember God helped you kill that lion. David, you remember God helped you kill that bear. David, you remember God helped you kill that giant. David, remember God's given you victory in all of these other battles that you face. David, remember that God's promised that you're going to be king. You're not going to die through this situation because you have a promise to hold on to. And as he got to that place of realizing, you know, even David wrote things that says, you know, I look to the mountains. Is my help coming from there? Which is where the foreign armies would usually come to help. He's like, no, it's not there. My help comes from the Lord and the Lord alone. He went back. He went back to his guys and he said, fellas, I know it looks like we've lost everything, but you know what? He came back fully encouraging the Lord and said, listen, we're going to go. We're going to lead. We're going we're gonna to go and, 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 and see what God may want to do in and through the situation. And so the guys went. They, were, they had just gone out to battle and come home, so they were already physically tired. They lost everything that they, was valuable to them and incredibly emotionally drained. It says that one-third of his army couldn't even go with him. They were just too, too, um, too weak to be able to do that. But the other ones went. The other ones went on their behalf. You know, that's the incredible, powerful thing about being part of a community and being part of groups and being part of those things is you have other people who are going to help fight on your behalf. David's story ends with him getting it all back and more. As he went out, you know, those, they, they could have made the choice when they were facing the storm to stone their leader and say, this is it, we're done. Could have been an incredibly, incredibly poor decision because in the end, they got it all back. I want to leave you with two stories as close this morning. Stan and Kim's wedding on Friday was just, uh, just such a neat thing to be a part of. And, you know, at the end of the day when they were sharing their speeches, you know, the couple usually shares a speech and they usually thank the minister for doing a good job, which they didn't do, you know, and, and they usually do uh, some other things and thank their parents. She began her, her speech with this story. She says, you know what, as I followed God throughout my life, and he's taken me, you know, all over, all over the place and just being uh, in ministry, you know, as a missionary and serving the Lord, she uh, had to come home last year because she had headaches. And she says, you know, as I, I came home, I had to have these headaches looked at. They just wouldn't go away. So she says, as we went to the doctors and we had the test done, she said, they, they said, listen, you have early onset MS, which, you know, because of the pain of the headaches and because of the treatment necessary, said, you have to stay in Ontario. And she's like, she had just planned to go to Europe to, be, uh, to do missions there for a year and realized, I got to stay home now. And then because she couldn't work, she had to move back home to Dunville, which is unfortunate in her words. And she said, you know, she didn't want to. She loves Dunville, but she just didn't want to have to live with her parents again. And moving back home there and realizing, you know, that the pain that uh, was, was just every day in her life, some friends got around her and said, Kim, God's always been faithful in your life, and I want you to get, you know, get your eyes on him again. Just get your eyes on him. It began to, to just study verses of, of healing and saying, you know, I'm going to walk out believing that, that I'm healed. So I'm just going to keep walking out, trusting, and keeping my eyes on him. It could be on all the negative, but I choose not to. 
And she said it was that, it was, the, that, it was that very encouragement and strength that she walked out that within four months, no more symptoms, no more t- uh, t- uh, negative test results, completely healed of MS or whatever it was that was causing it, it was gone. And they, you know, she realized, wow, this is incredible. But in that time frame, she happened to, upon the upper room in Dunville, which many of you are familiar with, Peter and Bobby Joe, who, you know, were worship leaders here for a while. They started something there. And, and as she ended up there, she's like, oh, I love what God's doing here in Dunville. I think I want to stay. And she says it was because of that that she met Stan and, and a year later found the, the man that she'd been looking for for 30 years, she had finally found. And it was like God had just incredibly blessed her Because in the time of choice, when she faced incredible darkness, she chose to get her eyes up, to get her eyes on him. Incredible, incredible. Experiencing God's goodness in in her journey of life. She was quick to say, too, that it wasn't God who gave her the MS, and it wasn't his thing of making that happen. She just realized when the enemy attacks, God can bring incredible good if I'll look to him. But I want to leave you with this thought. Getting it all back is not a guarantee. See, the idea of getting our eyes on Jesus isn't that it's a guarantee of pain-free life or anything like that. It's an opportunity, though, to see some good come out of evil. There's a man named Horatio who lived in the 1800s. And uh, Horatio, uh, who's a prosperous lawyer, you know, he was, a, he was wealthy, 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 and he's a devout follower of Christ. He uh, lived in a place called Lakeview, part of Chicago, invested in all the real estate in Chicago, in 1871, just a couple of years later, Chicago burned the whole city in the Great Fire of Chicago, and he lost most of his, uh, most of his wealth and uh, his home and, and other parts uh, of, of, of his life were lost in that. His wife Anna and him had four daughters, and, and they decided that even though they had lost everything, they would uh, join an effort to try and help the refugees who had lost more than them in the fire. And they began to just meet practical needs in any way they could for people in that fire. And for two years they did that. And their children were young. Their children were 11 and 8 uh, and 5 and 4. And as they um, were helping meet these needs, they did that for two years. And after two years, they f- felt like we need a break. We need a little bit of a break. And so friends of theirs from Europe had invited them over. And so they decided they're going to take a trip to Europe and just to, just to recharge and then come back and see what God would do in their life. And so as they were about to leave on the trip, Horatio got called and realized that he had to stay because of some of the work that he had to do. And so he sent his daughters and his wife on ahead of him. And as they were out on that sea, going from, from uh, New York over to Europe, their ship was hit by another ship, and their ship sunk. 226 people died that night, including all four of his daughters. 27 people lived, including his wife, Anna. She sent a telegram home, that's how they did it back then, that just said, saved alone. As he read the news of it, the ship sinking, that was all he realized is that his wife was the only one from his family to make it. So Horatio boarded a ship and headed over to Europe to bring his wife back home. And it was on that trip, halfway across, in the same waters where his daughters had died, that he wrote this famous hymn called, It Is Well With My Soul. And the lyrics of this hymn go like this, when peace like a river attends my way, when sorrow, sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it's well, it's well with my soul. He said, though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate, has shed his own blood for my soul. Beginning to get eyes on him, he says, Oh, sin, oh, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not just part of it, but the whole. It's nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. 
The Lord hastes the day when faith will be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump will resound. The Lord will descend. Even so, it's well with my soul. I heard this song, It Is Well at the wedding as Kim walked up the aisle and I thought, man, those words were ringing in my ears. Yesterday morning when I received a phone call that, you know, again, just more bad news as I hopped in the shower before driving to the, to the, um, to the uh, hospital. These words were ringing loud in the shower again. It is well, it is well with my soul. And as I thought about that, realizing, you know, I got I to gotta find out who wrote this song and why. And as I read this story, I realized it's just so incredible. Horatio and his wife, after coming back to the States, had three more children, a boy they named Horatio and two young girls. Four years later, they lost their only son, Horatio, to scarlet fever. And yet, continued on. In 1881, they decided they were going to move to Jerusalem to continue to serve those in need there. And this is what he said as he left. Jerusalem is where my Lord lived, where he suffered and conquered. And I, too, wish to learn how to live to suffer, but especially to conquer. I'm not going to just allow every negative thing that's happened in my life to take me down or take me out. Horatio died in 1888, but his daughters carried on the work that they began in Jerusalem, ministering to children, children of every age and every race. Uh, they, they helped and just served, it didn't matter, sick and dying children that were either Christians, Muslims, Jewish, or whoever. And that's, they started, the daughters started the Spafford Children's Center helping sick and dying, thousands of um, sick and dying children still to this day. But his song has gone on to challenge millions of followers ever since. We wouldn't know about him if he had just chosen to, to, to choose to go, you know, downhill when facing incredible loss. So my challenge and my question for you this morning is, are you faced with something difficult right now? Are you faced with a difficult situation? I know many of you are. I want to encourage you to turn your eyes towards him. You have got to be the one to do it, to turn your eyes, to shake off the weights of worry, of negativity, of depression. Say, I'm not going to hold on to that baggage. I'm going to run this race because I don't know what's on the other end. I'm just going to continue to run with endurance, the race that's set before me, because your future and the future of others can be changed by the choice that you make in the middle of the storm.